For professional advice with a personal touch, consult Fuller Landau, Chartered Accountants and Business Advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. Seven oh six. Welcome to today's Entrepreneur, a program about the entrepreneurial spirit that drives Quebec business. My name is Dan Delmar, along with Fuller Landau's Josh Miller. Hey, Josh. Hello. And this evening we're talking about lingerie. Very exciting. We have in studio with us uh, Tiffany. Uh, excuse me if I mispronounced your name. Tiffany. Tiffany uh, Algemo. Ajmo. Ajmo. Sorry, Ajmo from Blush no, Lingerie. L is for lingerie, Dan. Ah. Okay, well, Tiffany, uh, uh, Tiffany, welcome to CJD. Thank you. So nice first of all, so first of all, obviously you were talking lingerie today, but uh, tell us a bit about Blush. You're in the in more on the uh, on the wholesale side. Yes, Blush is a fashion intimates company. We've been wholesaling lingerie since the '80s, and uh, currently we will be launching um, our website, so we will become retailers as well. Now you've been doing this since the '80s. It's radio, so nobody can see you, but you're clearly having. You know, you're not from the '80s. You're 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 young. You're in your second generation. Uh, maybe a little bit more. Like, you're, are you a wholesaler? What type of product do you provide? Uh, so we provide uh, ladies' fashion intimates, uh, anything from beautiful bras to the underwear and fancy chemises, and we will be selling these products across the world uh, into specialty stores and online as well. Now, when did you get involved? I mean, as I, as I mentioned before, it's it started in the 80s. You probably weren't ready to join that business yet. It was started, I believe, by your parents or your... Yeah, or my dad else. started your it. Your dad started it. So where was your involved? When did you get involved in this business? I think I've been involved since I'm in the womb. <laughs> <laughs> I've literally been growing up in the business. So uh, my summers have been spent there in the shipping room, learning different parts of the business. And then full-time, I started at uh, 21, so about eight, uh, 19 years ago. Never ask a woman her age, especially, <laughs> okay. especially when she's in the I'll, lingerie business. I'll reveal business. it. <laughs> it's okay. Nobody can see you. It's all good. Uh, are are you in this alone? Do you have siblings? I'm in this or with you... uh, my brother Justin. He, him, and I work uh, hand in hand in the business, and uh, he got involved just after I did a year and a half later. And uh, we've been working together at this since ever since. Now, you got involved early on in your in your life. You know, 18 years ago, as you said. Was there ever a different path? Did you did you know you were always groomed? You said you were kind of knew this from the womb, but <laughs> Is this really, was this your path? Was this your desire? Was this your passion? Or did you kind of feel pressured to get into it? No, my dad never, ever pushed us into the business. For me, it was always a pure love. I always wanted to be in fashion. I always wanted to be in this business. Since I'm very young, going shopping and just knowing exactly what area I wanted to do. Uh, so in school, I studied uh, fashion marketing and business entrepreneurship. I studied commerce and just knowing that this was my path. This was my future. So you pretty much almost felt like you were like you, this was it and you were grooming yourself to come into this role. Exactly. That's really you, what I wanted to do. Do you think I know your brother is not here to share his experience personally, but did he too feel in that same vein? And was he kind uh, of just grooming the, himself? Justin was more um, finance driven. So he did study uh, finance at McGill, and he really wanted to uh, focus more in that area. However, he ended up working part-time and just starting out in the business, and he just fell in love with it. And it worked out well because he took over the finance part of the business. Did you know from a very young age that you wanted to get involved in the family business, and did you have any hesitation about working with family? 
No, my my family and I were very close um, at home. And for me, it was always such a dream to be able to work with them. So the fact that my dad supported us but didn't push us into it just made it all the more um, of a dream for me. Now, there's been many second-generation entrepreneurs, Dan, that we've had on air. And everybody's, I guess, everybody evolves in a different way, you know. And some start at the bottom, some start at the top. They all try and gain their information and their knowledge in many different ways. So I guess uh, I, I turn to Tiffany and I, I, I ask her, at, at an age of 21, even though you tried to groom yourself from an education standpoint, where did you start learning the business? Kind of what role did you play at the beginning? And, and how, were the, how was your dad supportive in that respect? Yeah, the, the learning of the business is truly on the field. Um, everything I learned in school helped um, groom me to get into the business, but everything was learned for this specific industry on the field. Everything from working with the design team, uh, learning how to take measurements, specs, calculate fabrics, um, purchase trims, to working in the shipping room, learning about different size boxes and uh, weights for parcel package, learning how to work at the reception to enter orders, invoicing, greet guests, send out UPS packages. <laughs> so it's really um, a mixed bag. And a, a little bit of everything. A and little really bit from, of everything. from the ground up. I mean, other than totally. sweeping the floors and really trying to understand. Oh, I did that too. <laughs> did that too. Excellent. The <laughs> basics of the business. What was, was your father, I, I'm sure he was welcoming, but did he share the information readily? Did, when you asked a question... Did he try and hold stuff back, or was he really willing to pass on that torch and share the information? Our dad was always, is always also very forthcoming. He really just wants us to learn. Um, every day we're learning from him, and he's still very involved in teaching us, um, very open about the business and wanting us to really understand. And as he says, you have to feel the business, and that's a key. Do you still learn today? Every single day. <laughs> Do you find your dad still learns today? Do you think he learns from you as well? I think now he does. Um, we can say because of such a change of events in the business and with the times that we're in today, um, I could say that now we are showing him a lot of different um, parts of the business that he never dreamed would happen back in the day. Now, we're speaking with Tiffany Ajmo of Blush Lingerie, and she's second generation in the business. And the parents, or in this case, the father that started the business, was there, a, um, I guess when you came in, the roles that you play, the employees that also looked up to you or, or that maybe took time to look up to you, how did you feel when you first walked into that business? Did you feel you had to earn your respect or did you feel, you know what, my dad was there, you know, I, I should have this basic knowledge, they should understand me? I think um, our type of environment and the way that my dad always worked and preached to the whole office, we're all very much together in this. And there's no levels of authority, superiority. And we came in all on the same level as everyone there. It's really one big cohesive team. Um, and it's really every single person from every department that makes the, the company what it is today. Did you start, you started a few years before your brother did? A year and a half about, yeah. So when he came on board, mm -hmm. I'm kind of curious. Did you feel there was an ally coming? Did you feel that, you know what, you had to kind of train him a little bit after the year and a half that you went through? Where was that kind of family dynamic? It actually wasn't like that at all because I'm more of um, in the marketing and sales part of it. And Justin, as I said before, is 
completely involved in the finance and running today of the business. But when he came in, he really focused on the banking, the finance, the accounting. So his area of expertise was really far superior in there, in that part of the business than I could ever dream of knowing. So it actually was, um, and we enhance each other and complement each other. So it was very different parts of it. Did your dad kind of have a specialty? Was he good all around or did, was he also either more admin or more sales or more like, did he have kind of a specialty or preference when he was running the business? My dad is really a hands-on um, all over uh, running the business from A to Z type of guy. He's self-taught. He he didn't graduate university, um, which his dad back in the day almost crucified him for. But he really proved himself and taught himself uh, the business inside out. He knows it for like the back of his hand. And Dan, you know, we, we've heard many entrepreneurs and many second generations come in and say, you know what, dad was this and I was a little bit different or dad was this and I was very much the same. But at the end of the day, the second generation does have to find their own footing. And when we come back from the break, we'll, we'll discuss that as well as the evolution of the business. Because as we know, the 80s aren't 20,014, and there's been much transition along the way. Especially the online transition could be a bit of a resistance point. So we'll get to that in a second. But first, 7.15 on today's Entrepreneur. Our guest is Tiffany Adjmo of Blush Lingerie. But first, CJAD 800 Traffic. And here's Kira Yeager. For professional advice with a personal touch, consult Fuller Landau, Chartered Accountants and Business Advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. 719 on today's Entrepreneur, inspiring stories from outstanding business people. Dan Delmar and Fuller Landau's Josh Miller with you. And our guest is Tiffany Adjmo of Blush Lingerie. And uh, Josh, their company is going through a bit of a transition lately. And they are. And, you know, there's so many companies in Montreal uh, and, and certainly in Canada, North America, et cetera, that have, that have gone and are going through transition from manufacturing to import. Now, the listeners are going to say, what do you mean transition? They've already gone through it. Manufacturing is dead. It's history. We're going to import. Well, that's certainly a, a serious aspect, but we also want to hear kind of how that transition occurred in blush lingerie. So I'm going to try and kind of turn to Tiffany and say, since you joined in the early 90s, when you were in the manufacturing aspect and you've lived through that transition of, of going to import, what was the major impact? What was the mo one of perhaps one of the items or aspects that you remember most, the biggest change and why you did that? I would say the biggest change is the physical change. Uh, we went from a company of maybe 300 people down to a much smaller scale because the whole manufacturing part of the business basically overnight just disappeared. Um, and that was a decision that was taken um, really at the lead of our father who said, guys, you've got to look at this import business or close your doors. It's time. And uh, we really knew that we had no choice at that point. The future really was leading towards importing our products versus manufacturing them here in Montreal. Did you find that slapped you in the face or did you really, you know, uh, being the, you know, the young professionals and the young business people uh, in the business said, you know what? Yeah, you know, this is just not happening here in North America. It's moving. So even though your dad might have pushed it, it was it was a reality for you anyways. It was a big reality. It was a wake-up call. Um, we knew it was coming, but the fact to really take the stance and literally switch your business overnight from a manufacturing process to an import process was something that was so scary and unknown to us, um, and it was basically a leap of faith. 
Now, how did you deal? A couple of specific questions because I know it's a big picture item, and there's a. It's easy to talk about the generalities, but a couple of specifics, if you don't mind, and that's you have a lot of employees to deal with at first. You know, the company has been around a number of years. How do you deal with moving from? We have hundreds of employees that are sewing and doing to you know what? Thank you. We don't necessarily need you anymore. That was the hardest part, um, especially for our father, who was with them for many, many years, uh, became a family to him, to us. And the fact that we would at one point not be with them anymore, for him, it was very hard to, to accept and to, to move on. So he really tried to place a lot of them in, in different companies that were still um, staying current and domestic um, and was successful in doing so, but not with everyone, unfortunately. What were some of the circumstances that led to, that led Blush to make that decision? Uh, a lot of the increased costs of domestically manufacturing, um, but one of the biggest factors I would say is the lack of um, people coming in to sewing. So the ladies who were sewing for us were aging, and we weren't seeing any of their daughters or nieces coming into the business. So to find experienced sewers was an extreme challenge and obstacle for Blush, especially in our line of products, sewing bras um, and corsetry. It's very specific, it's very technical, and needs a very certain skill. So no sons and nephews either getting into this business. <laughs> no sons and nephews. How's your sewing ability, Dan? Uh, not so good. Yeah, a little lacking. <laughs> so so now, that you're, now that you're looking to overseas and, and importing, how much effort and what was the process to find the right, I guess, suppliers or, or subcontractors to make sure they, they completed your product to the right specs? It was quite an obstacle, um, very foreign to us, of course, to have to um, meet with people that we never um, were familiar with. We basically, um, Justin and I took a trip to meet with certain suppliers that were showing um, in, a, in an international trade show. We met with them and we then went on to China to actually visit their factories, selected a few that we felt very comfortable to start with, um, and started the process slowly but surely, building up relationships with these suppliers and testing out different quality levels and price levels. Tiffany Edgemo, our guest on today's Entrepreneur at 723. For professional advice with a personal touch, consult Fuller Landau, chartered accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. Welcome back. We're talking with Tiffany Adjmo of Blush Lingerie. Uh, they wholesale and uh, soon to be an online retailer as well. And we're talking about uh, the transition from manufacturing here in Canada to uh, to going abroad. And uh, Tiffany, you uh, tend to do business more with China, but you've uh, delved into business with with Thailand and India as well. Tell us about your experiences, uh, sort of getting to uh, getting to know how best to to import your goods. Well, in China, we found um, the quality of the workmanship and the communication is extraordinary. They are able to really take a product and make it to a level that is incredible. They follow really well what we need them to do in terms of uh, color lab dips, specs, um, anything from A to Z. We are really having a wonderful relationship with the suppliers we've been working with. We worked a bit in India. It was a bit of a tougher experience. Um, I would say their standards of, um, of color approvals is a bit weaker in terms of uh, the levels of, of purity of the colors. 
Now, is this something, this has nothing to do with the instructions given. They're given clear instructions. Do they take matters into their own hands or it's just an interpretation thing? I would say it's more of an interpretation. Uh, the instructions are the same. It's very clear. All the tech packs are sent out with um, specific Pantone color standards. Uh, we see repetitively the colors coming back are not exact, um, not precise. So it's a very different level of approvals with India that we've seen with China. So there is quite a comparison that we could say um, goes on in the process. Now, as we know, with many manufacturers, quality control is a huge aspect. How do you deal with quality control? Do you have your own people on the ground? Do you get your strike off, send it back and double check? What works for you? What didn't work for you, perhaps? Or what does work for you today for dealing with making sure you have the quality product coming out of these subcontractors? Yeah, that's it is quite a process. Like you're saying, it's it's very um, specific, especially in our product. Again, as as I said before, it's a very technical product. So every millimeter <laughs> counts for yeah. us. And in terms of quality control, we are working with very specific suppliers um, that are bra manufacturers. So our level of, of workmanship is respected. We did have someone traveling to Asia for us doing the quality and control inspection, but now the suppliers are themselves instilling certain practices that we've worked to towards together um, to respect and follow before any shipment is sent out to us. Do you feel you still have to keep them honest sometimes? Absolutely. How do you do that? We everything is checked. Everything that comes into our warehouse is double and triple checked before it goes out to our customers. So stock reports are done um, weekly. Any any new shipment that comes in is reported, and stock checks are done and sent to the suppliers. Now, as you're dealing with overseas, and and I know so many, I mean today this is what it is. You're dealing with overseas manufacturers and subcontractors. You got to keep an eye out on your own product because you're you're delivering it here. What about the correspondence and the exchange of information from the design which Canada at least in this case has become so well known for and the manufacturing in China how specific do you have to be today versus maybe what you were before just to give you an idea I can have anywhere from uh, 1500 to 2000 messages in my inbox <laughs> so that's a lot of messages. there's a lot of communication going on uh, back and forth every detail is documented and communicated and nothing is overlooked from the thread color to the thread position um, to the type of sewing everything is documented and instructed so it is very specific and dealing with the countries themselves the china versus india versus thailand are there different regulations you have to deal with? Are there there different uh, either not quotas but uh, issues from a, from a, an importing aspect, or do you kind of deal with your logistics company and they cover it all? They do cover it all, um, and we haven't had a problem in terms of that uh, side of the business with either Malaysia, India, or China. It is more really product driven, um, and depending on the type of product, that is how our supplier is selected, depending where we're going to be sewing it. Now. Uh, and Dan, you know, dealing with overseas is always a major issue. And bottom line, and what, he, what we're hearing from Tiffany and Blush Lingerie is that you got to stay on the pulse. And if you don't stay on top of them and you don't, you don't ensure either the specifications are 100% or you don't keep them in line and test check, it's very complicated and you won't get the right product. So clearly another example on making sure that overseas is done as it is.
For professional advice with a personal touch, consult Fuller Landau, chartered accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. 735, welcome back to Today's Entrepreneur, presented by Fuller Landau, a program about the entrepreneurial spirit that drives Quebec business. My name is Dan Delmar, along with Josh Miller of Fuller Landau, and our guest this evening is Tiffany Agmo of Blush Lingerie, and uh, we're talking about uh, their uh, their move to, to manufacture in China, uh, now importing some of that lingerie here to Montreal, but they are still located on Chabonel. I, I want to talk a bit about the uh, the fashion district of Montreal, because it's, it's undergone some changes in the last few years, certainly, uh, you know, after the... Uh, the trade tariffs were removed after the crisis of 2008. Um, it's It's been an area that's been uh, in trouble at times. Tell us what Chabonel looks like today. Definitely quite a transition from the time I started uh, with Justin in, in the business. We were the manufacturing hub on Chabonel, as you said. The streets, you couldn't find parking. It was busy, 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 and just an ongoing zoo all day long. Uh, it went through a transition where at one point we were the only office open on our floor. Very quiet, very empty, the buildings. But the revamp of the streets ha are very exciting. Um, the buildings are re re being redone to attract a different type of industry now. We're seeing um, architecture firms coming in, gaming industry coming in, IT coming in and a lot of higher end fashion brands coming in as well. So the the mix now is no longer just manufacturing the way it used to be. No, and and Chabonel Dan and and Tiffany as we all know, Chabonel a few decades ago really generated 80% of Canada's clothing. I mean, it was it was an absolute powerhouse of a five block street. Um it's certainly not today. But the people are still around, and, and while not all the people around, is certainly some of the people around, and Canada has become more of a design and logistics uh, more than anything else. So maybe a little bit of human resource question for you, Tiffany. Uh, how many people are you were you originally when you were manufacturing, and how many are you today? At the time, we had uh, two plants going on, one in Montreal and one up north. So we are about 300 total in-house. Now we're about 15 in-house, doing more volume than we did then, um, with quite a, a large difference in the, in the staff that we're working with. That's an absolute, I mean, that's a huge shift. I mean, also, of course, very typical, I won't just say of Montreal, certainly of North America, but now that you have a smaller group, does everybody get involved in everything? Do you have very delineated roles? Or you know what? This is one company that's moving forward, and everybody has pretty much a good impact in the business. Everyone is very strong and very critical for the growth of the business. Our group is incredible. Um, everyone has such talent and really is able to focus in a certain area, however, are able to work in different parts of the business. And that's where we see the success of being a small team, but we're a very strong team because we are able to be multitasking. Is communication close? Do you kind of meet with, I would say meet with everybody, but you're all kind of probably within a few feet of each other. But do you, do you collaborate formally all the time? Or is it really just kind of haphazard? Informally, all the time. <laughs> We're always working together, one with the other, um, and pretty much all day long. If it's not one, it's the other. We really help each other do different projects, and um, it's just an ongoing, ongoing group effort. Which makes marketing yourself and Blush Lingerie uh, absolutely huge. So let's kind of switch gears to marketing a little bit. How do you make sure, now you're a wholesaler, you're selling to retailers uh, for the most part. 
how do you make sure the name stays out there? What do you do to make sure that your brand and your image is really top notch? Our main thrust for us is our photo campaigns, our image, um, the, the, the type of image that we want to portray to the world. And that is really being a high fashion brand with beautiful undergarments at a very affordable price. And that is really something that we push forward all the time to our retailers, to our social media platform. And that's really where we keep a little notch above, um, I would say, in, in the lingerie industry. Fashion intimates, I believe, was a term that's get, yeah. that gets used uh, day in and day out in your business. Uh, is, is this something that, do things change often in your business? Do products change frequently? Or is it just a little tweaking here and there? We have our core range for sure with certain silhouettes that people come back for and are true and tried and are truly loved. We do then have a lot of um, interjection with new styling, new colors, new fabrics. Um, so we are always reinventing the wheel. It's hard sometimes because a bra is a bra, someone would say. But believe it or not, there are so many different silhouettes and functions to one bra that there are some endless options out there. A bra is a bra. Not not every model is is the same model, and some portray it a little bit better. Uh, Dan and I, you probably, you and I probably wouldn't be very good models for this industry. Probably not. But t tell us about innovations uh, in in the industry. We're just curious because uh, coming from two male perspectives, we're not really sure the work that goes into these products. But it's it's I would assume it's quite complicated. It is quite complicated because our product, everything is based on fit. And as you know, no two women are made the same. So what fits one woman extraordinary will be a disaster on someone else. So to be able to find a product that fits the majority of the woman of the niche we're going after is where we try and focus a lot of our energy and time on different products that will really appeal to many different women of different age groups um, and of different size ranges. Some, some of our bras will be available in up to 18 sizes. I clearly only know of one woman since I'm married to only one woman and I'm happily married. In any event, when we get to marketing, I mean, how do you make sure the name is out there? Do you do you deal with social media at all? Uh, how do, how, what's your best and possibly worst over the years marketing campaigns? Times have changed. Um, back in the day, our traditional form of advertising was magazine, paper, and that was really the way that we got a lot of... Um, a lot of uh, people talking about blush was seeing our ad, calling us up, where can I buy it? And that was really the way we, we grew the name. Today, it's all about the social media platform, online, Facebook, Twitter. And uh, this is really where we're seeing the fan base growing for blush. So now that you see that it's online and there's social media and people are absolutely buying online, notwithstanding the fact they still want to feel and touch and I guess at some point for these products, try them on, whether it's for themselves or for others. What's next for your business? Well, we are launching um, our blush e-commerce online sales this Wednesday. So we're quite excited um, with this launch. You will now be able to buy all of our products on our website. Uh, we will be shipping internationally worldwide, so they will be available uh, to everyone. And uh, we're quite thrilled with the launch of this uh, coming up on Wednesday. Blushlingerie.com. All right. Now, how? I don't know if it's a delicate question or not, but you're dealing, you're selling to retailers. How do you deal with having an online business 
and selling for re- for your retailers. Are you competing with yourself to some degree? We, we're becoming another retailer. So at the end, we are um, someone else coming into the market. However, we're not coming into this to slash prices and compete against our retailers at a different price point. We're here to enhance the brand and to make people um, know more about the product and to learn more about blush. Basically, on our site, everything will be available, but we are still offering store locator where they can find the product in store so they can go and feel and try and purchase also in store. And I'm really happy you said that because so many so many people are going for online business feel they're going to cannibalize their own sales, but in reality, you're better off, you're building, you're building your brand. Mm-hmm. It's well about building an image and your brand and the quality and the aspect of the product. And you're not cannibalizing yourself. You're just making it better for the people you're selling through and to. Now, Absolutely. Distribution. Did you have to change any of your distribution aspects when you're going online? For us, we're basically set up to ship individual units because we do work with specialty stores and are used to shipping a few pieces at a time. So this won't be any different in that sense. Um, Our warehouse is set up, though, separately for our e-commerce section and our wholesale. So it is two different parts of the warehouse that we've allocated to e-commerce. And um, all the stock is segregated for e-commerce specifically. Now, it's a very different business, and uh, and I know it's huge. And, and the reality is, anybody that's either wholesaling or reselling, if you're not in the online world, you might be falling behind. So people got to kind of get with the program and, and, and get there. And certainly, it's going to build a brand and the image, and that entrepreneurs, most successful entrepreneurs, absolutely realize. And time time is running out. We've had such a great discussion with you, Tiffany. Uh, with Blush Lingerie, but when we come back after the break, we're going to talk a little bit more about online sales and websites and a little bit of the pitfalls and things you should look out for when you're really building that other part of the business. And our IT contributor, Kevin Ammerman, will join us more on that and web marketing in a second. For professional advice with a personal touch, consult Fuller Landau, Chartered Accountants and Business Advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. 7.48 7.48 on Today's Entrepreneur. With us is Tiffany Adjmo from Blush Lingerie. And we also welcome back Kevin Ammerman, our IT specialist from Fuller Landau. Kevin, how are you doing? Fine, thank you. Great. So uh, why don't we begin with uh, a bit of a news note uh, for many entrepreneurs. If uh, you haven't changed your passwords as a result of uh, Heartbleed, perhaps uh, now might be a good time to do that? Oh, certainly, yes. So even uh, we've all seen a lot of emails from various companies assuring us that they're Heartbleed free and that they've... Uh, if they were affected, that they've patched up their systems. And even if, if they weren't affected, though, a lot of companies are sending out notes just to reassure their clientele. Um, but you got to look at it a little bit like a, a series of domino, dominoes or a house of cards. If, if there's any link in the chain that's been affected, then you got to be a little bit concerned. And it's the, better to play it safe than sorry and just, just change those passwords. And to just follow sort of general, you know, good password maintenance rules and try to maintain different passwords for different sites and things like this. So even though the guy's caught and, you know, maybe the threat is gone, the the component behind it, I mean, just the changing of the passwords and securing your site doesn't go away. Uh, see, this is the accountant in you talking here. The, the, the guy that... Uh, this is the listener in me, you know. The, the, the person accused of uh, interfering with the CRA website, He, they, I think they caught him, but uh, that's only one guy. That's the only Canadian guy that we've... we've really seen in the news a lot he's the uh, reason i get five extra days of my taxes yeah exactly uh, even though you know we're done april 30th yeah. that's it boys <laughs> but no that's that's just one guy and uh that was we it affected us the accounting company very very directly but there's so many other aspects out there um this this 
the vulnerability was operational for over a year and uh there are a lot of sites affected and, and a lot of sites that don't even know they're affected yet so yeah there's there's still i think we're going to be seeing this one in the news for a little bit longer so now that blush lingerie you know as i as i look at tiffany uh and, and thinking they're about to launch their online website on wednesday maybe what are some of the things that entrepreneurs need to think about to protect uh, and maybe and the heartbleed is certainly on top of mind but what should they do to kind of protect the website and the online transactions well, this was a really hard one to avoid. Uh, most companies were doing everything right, and a lot of them still got hit by this. So the keys are really to uh, try to be a little bit nimble, make sure that you're ready to do updates when updates become available, and have a bit of a plan. If something does go wrong, if, heaven forbid, that some customer data does get released or, or taken from you, uh, have a plan in place so that you can approach it directly and, and deal with the problem head on rather than waiting for someone to come to you Kind of, Tiffany, I, I look to you, and I don't know if you're directly involved in the online, or perhaps it's your brother, Justin, but is this something that you guys are thinking about? You know, you're about to launch this website. You've heard this Heartbleed virus. You've, you, you, you've heard about, you know, identity theft and people stealing. How actively do you, per, do you deal with some of these potentials when you're about to launch online? It's definitely a scare. It's definitely something that's so hard to, to combat. We are putting the cards on our plate and just doing everything we need to do to be a secure site and to be strong in that sense. We're doing our best, but hopefully it's not going to occur that we're going to have to uh, deal with such a situation. Most businesses, they do the right thing and they go outside for help in these mm -hmm. kind of instances because most, most small businesses aren't, aren't experts in security or online transactions. Um, so you really have to rely on a third party provider yeah. and uh, make sure that they live up to your expectations. Is it also about monitoring? I mean, can companies monitor what's going on internally uh, or externally or hackers or wherever it may be? And, and where should they look and how often should they monitor their own online business? Uh, as as closely as you would monitor the cash register in your store when the store is open, you should be monitoring your your online transactions as well. So that's, that's pretty much continuously. Um, and as I say, just make, making sure that there's maintenance done on the site in a timely manner. Don't let it go for years without updates or anything like this. Try to make sure that uh, if there are security patches that are available, apply them and, and uh, just keep an eye on the site and keep it fresh. Today's Entrepreneur on CJAD 800 will have uh, Tiffany Adjimo's one piece of advice for today's Entrepreneur next. For professional advice with a personal touch, consult Fuller Landau, Chartered Accountants and Business Advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. Welcome back to today's entrepreneur. Our guest is Tiffany Adjimo of Blush Lingerie. We'll get to her one piece of advice for today's entrepreneur in a moment. But first, uh, Josh, we're talking to Kevin about uh, web marketing, about IT security, and uh, certainly as uh, as Tiffany embarks on this online adventure, it's a it's a it's a concern for a lot of businesses. No question. And there's there's a, a front we're looking. You know, the user friendliness, the ability for the customer to actually transact easily. But there's a back end too, the one that has to communicate with the inventory part of uh, of the business and make sure that everything is operating properly in the background. So I guess I turn to Kevin and, and kind of maybe ask a, a little bit open-ended question, and that is how can businesses or, or what challenges do they have when ensuring that this this online website is really talking properly with its back end? Well, this is... Uh... You, splitting it up into two parts like that, the front end and the back end, is, is really important because they really sort of are two separate entities. Um, and that, that back end, that maintenance part where you you know make sure that the right stock is entered in the system and things like this, 
for a lot of businesses, this grows into a true business to business kind of platform. And if you can uh, keep your, your site nimble enough to be able to deal with those changes and growth uh, on the back end and maintain a consistent user experience on the front end and in a, in a business such as fashion where there was uh, product updates every season and things like this and keep it fresh, uh, that, that works really well if you can deal with those two parts separately. Now, Tiffany, both ends are very important, and I, I wouldn't necessarily want to put you on the spot in a way, which did you concentrate on more? But when you're thinking about you know, your entrepreneurial experience, the back end versus the front end, where really has been the biggest challenge for you? I would say for us, um, the marketing part of the website to make sure that aesthetically it's beautiful, it looks good, it's easy to follow and to use, it will be easy to navigate, check out, purchase, um, is really key for us. And it's been really the, the obstacle to make sure um, in our minds it's as perfect as can be. Well, certainly you're dealing with you're dealing with an aesthetic product, so to make it look good is is really great, Kevin. From a back end, is there a lot of things, a lot of I guess aspects that have to communicate with one another? The accounting package, the the the, the business to consumer website. What are some of the perhaps challenges or aspects that entrepreneurs have to keep in mind? Uh, the biggest challenge is is making sure that it meets the demands of your business. So uh, depending on how how many units you're selling, if you're selling a big product or a small product. Um, maybe your website is set up so that you can keep that website independent of your accounting system, or maybe uh, it makes more sense to integrate it and have a fully ERP integrated system. It's a lot more costly, but you can get a lot more automation out of it, and in the long term, that will probably pay off. But definitely options depending on kind of how far you want to go. The sky is the limit. The sky is the limit. And as we approach the uh, the end of the hour, I guess as we do uh, every week and every show, we turn to our, our entrepreneur as experienced as she is, and we'll ask Tiffany Ajmo of Blush Lingerie, what would be your one piece of advice to today's entrepreneur? I would say never give up on yourself. Uh, there'll be days where you feel you're getting nowhere and you feel just the world is crumbling and you're not achieving anything. Just keep going and don't give up because if you have something in mind and you're going after something, for sure you'll be able to get there. And Dan, you know, it, it, I was actually going to say the same thing. I don't always plan the takeaways from this show, but as I listen to Tiffany's last one piece of advice to entrepreneurs, it, it's really, you know, kind of be yourself and kind of go with it. If, if an entrepreneur is to be successful, there clearly has to be an instinct behind them. And that instinct, really, you have to let flow to the top. Don't block your ideas. Don't put obstacles in your way. Go with your heart. Go with your gut. And go with your head. And all three will mesh. And yes, family does come into play. There's no question that Tiffany, with her, her brother and her father, come come and meet these challenges but go with your gut, go with your instinct, go with your love, and it'll all work out. Tiffany Adjimo of Blush Lingerie, thanks for being our profile this evening on Today's Thank Entrepreneur. You. Thank you. For and uh, thanks, me. Kevin, from uh, Fulalanda. We'll talk IT with you again shortly. Thank you. And uh, Josh, we're back next Monday night uh, with a startup success called Whitebook. Absolutely. Very interesting and brand new. And they raised the most money from a Kickstarter campaign, half a million dollars. Hugely interesting. Wow. So next Monday at 7, stay tuned for that. The Exchange with Barrow Wiseman is next. It's 8 o'clock.